0: Hi there, it's Yana Firestone here. And before we jump into the new episode of The Curious Life, I just wanted to take a moment to introduce you to my new project, The Days That Follow. It's a grief recovery podcast where I'll be tapping into my own personal experience with grief, as well as my expertise as a therapist who's worked extensively in grief and trauma and talking with some very well-known people about their experiences with grief and how they transform that into something meaningful. It's a space for transformation. We'll be having those tough conversations about what it's like to be stuck in the mud in the darkest places with grief. But most importantly how we move through it. It's a grief recovery podcast and I look forward to sharing these stories of hope and inspiration and hopefully leaving you feeling a little bit better at the end of each episode than you did at the start. Let's change the landscape of grief together. Let's make the days that follow count. You can find the new pod on Instagram at the days that follow and I look forward to going on this journey with you. But for now,
1: here's more of The Curious Life. In this episode, meet Emma Carey, the author of her true life story, The Girl Who Fell from the Sky. It's an extraordinary true story of resilience, courage, hope and finding lightness after the heaviest of landings. Emma literally fell from the sky in a skydiving accident whilst travelling overseas, aged only 20. Unbelievable. How do you recover from that, let alone survive? It is an emotional journey that takes you from Emma's realisation of what was to come whilst laying in a Sydney hospital in the the spinal Injuries Ward, to inspiration from unusual places, to the thoughts it will provoke in the reader on how the emotions relate to their own lives. Emma is a joy, and you will 100% enjoy this chat with Jana on this episode of The Curious Life. Welcome to the Curious Life.
0: It is such a thrill for me to be talking with you after diving into your beautiful book. Ah, you've got a, it's so I've weird seeing it. people holding
2: it. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. Oh Thank you for having me.
0: Emma, what a book, honestly. Your story is phenomenal from start to finish. And I know we were just saying off air that you wrote this two years ago. So it's like going back to the start and revisiting so much of what was really hard to put down into words, but you've done it just so beautifully. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks yeah. for reading it. <laughs> of course. Oh I have to say the first half was really hard for me to read because I'm somebody that gets really anxious about dying. It's a really mm. weird thing. So, mm-hmm. I lost my mum suddenly when I was 21. So, I feel like oh, I'm man. like acutely aware of yeah. grief and loss. Yeah. And so, as soon as I have any kind of twinge in my body, I'm like panicking that it's something more serious.
2: Something serious. So,
0: yeah. every step of the way, I felt so sick. And it was like I was in your experience because you brought it to life so vividly that. I could just feel every single thing that you were going through. And I'd have to read a few pages and put it down again and like take a breath and kind of reset and then get back in. Like I couldn't put it down. I wanted to keep seeing what was happening, but I was feeling it so vividly. So were you aware that you were? Thank you, but also sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Um, Yeah, I'm recovering now. But (laughs) (laughs) were you aware of how vivid your writing is? So weird not many people have read it yet. So it's amazing
2: to hear that kind of review because you know I've always loved writing but I've always just done it for myself. I've never released it in any way like this. So I have no idea how people will perceive and interpret what I write. So it's good to hear that the imagery and the, everything was there.
0: <laughs> oh, 100%. For people that don't know, they will know very quickly that this all starts with you jumping out of a plane thinking you're going for the most exciting experience on your trip and surviving crashing down to the ground that straight is straight into
2: the book okay hey?
0: yeah straight in <laughs> yeah. I was expecting okay we're going to get to learn about Emma and her background where she comes from who she was but it's like no nah, straight nah. in and got I to love get, got that. to get the people gripped you know yeah yeah and I was gripped and the crazy thing is you were conscious for the entire entire experience but then everything beyond that you would think that is the most spectacular part of the book like that you survived such an unlikely scenario to survive Mm -hmm. but then you kept surviving and it was like a testament to your strength and the human spirit how you got through every single step of the way that has led you to where you are today.
2: Well, thank you. And it's nice to hear that because I I know that a skydiving accident is very rare and intriguing and that's often what people want to ask me about, which is so fair because you know, you don't come across that every day. For me, that was a two minute period of my life, obviously a very impactful one, but it's not I don't sit here and think about it and that's something that happened to me whereas I feel like the rest of the book is something that I made happen and lessons that I can share and things that I'm actually proud of rather than just focusing on that, that one thing that I didn't have control over. So yeah, yeah, it's nice to hear that that wasn't, you know, the only,
0: (laughs) the only interesting part. Well, that's right. A hundred percent because like straight away, you're in this crazy world where you don't speak the language. You've got doctors and nurses around you, you're 24 seven, you're trying to make sense of what has happened to you physically in your own body and your own feeling. And then from this world around you, and it just feels like so much is happening and so much time is passing, but then it'll be like, oh, it had been a week or it had been two weeks. And I'm just like, if my mind is blown at the experience you're having at that time, imagine what that would have been like to be living through and trying to Mm. absorb all of that shock and reality and distress and fear and anxiety. And Not only that, but you know, you talk about being without even realizing being suicidal in those first few—I'm not even sure of the time period. Yeah, first First few few weeks. Few weeks. Yeah, Yeah. it's
2: weird how in pivotal moments like that, time just doesn't exist like we're used to. Mm. Because yeah, even when I think about that period of my life now, it seems like so long. Now months can pass and nothing changes. Yeah, that period of my time of my life, even though hospital was all up only a few months it just seems like because there were so many new experiences new emotions so much going on it just seems like it was so much longer when it wasn't it's funny how life can do that and then Other times
0: years pass by and yeah, I don't know. Like time Mm -hmm. is such a such a a weird thing. Like you say, my eldest child just turned six and I feel like I don't understand where six years have gone. Yeah. But at the same time, an hour can feel excruciatingly slow. And you can't understand how that time is going minute by minute, feeling like hours. But I'm interested to know you seem to have this shift in perspective really quite quickly. I could imagine. For someone like me who has so much fear and anxiety around losing my life or my ability to move around freely in this world the way that I do, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure I would be able to make that switch into that positive mindset that you seemed to do really quite quickly to go from such a low low to suddenly having these glimmers of hope and thinking, no, there is joy. There can be good that Mm -hmm. can come out of this. I can be okay.
2: One of the things that really helped me, and I mean, I'll never know if what I would have been like if the scenario was different, but as you said earlier, I was conscious for the whole fall and when I landed and the moment I realized I was paralyzed. Whereas a lot of people, when they have accidents, they probably are unconscious and wake up in hospital, you know, a few days later to the news. And even though being awake for the fall and it was a very traumatic thing to live through and a very traumatic memory to have. I think it actually really helped me because I got to experience that such a sharp, deep feeling of regret almost when I was falling, thinking, oh my God, like I've only got 10 seconds left to live and I want to live so badly, Mm. which I'd never stopped to think about before because I was just kind of, you know, plodding along day by day, didn't really just took things for granted. And so having that sharp, immediate realization of how fragile life is and then getting to survive, I just... I think I, I knew how lucky I was. So even though I was struggling and I had been dealt this injury, I still had that knowing of like, oh my gosh, like I'm alive and I don't know why, but (laughs) like, I'm so, so lucky. So I think that really, really did help me. And I've actually noticed in my own research, (laughs) talking to people that I know that have had accidents like this, the people who have been awake for them and the people who haven't have dealt with it very
0: differently you must be able to process it more quickly because you know everything that happened. You're not left wondering what happened. When you kind of share a little bit about Emma before the accident, you talked about having this spiraling anxiety. You'd have panic attacks when you were driving and you had this sense of, in fact, the words I think were not mine. There's Mm -hmm. this inner voice Mm -hmm. screaming to you, not mine, not mine. Like this life that I'm living is not feeling like this is where I'm meant to be which I find so fascinating. And were you aware of that at the time? Or is it only on reflection when you look back after the accident that you can see that a big shift in your life was coming?
2: Uh, No, absolutely. I was aware of it at the time. So I was only 20, but ever since a teenager, I kind of developed this just like innate sadness Mm. all the time. And I would constantly find myself in situations, as I say in the book, where I'd be talking to people or somewhere or going to work or whatever I was doing. And I just like keep thinking like, not mine, not mine, not mine. And I was so aware of it as it was happening. But the difference is between back then and upon reflection is back then I didn't know I had a choice that I could create another life. I didn't know it was possible. I just thought, oh, well, I'm always just going to feel a little bit sad. I'm always going to feel like my best life is happening somewhere to another version of me. I didn't realize that I had any control over it. Whereas after the accident, I guess my whole identity had been taken away from me, my, you know, my physical abilities, my relationships, where I live, my hobbies, everything. So I thought, okay, well, if I wasn't happy with who I was and all that's been taken away, even though that's really bloody hard, maybe that doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing because it means I can rebuild into whoever I want to be rather than just conforming into who I think I have to be.
0: And again, like that is such incredible resilience, especially for such a young person to come to that place of acceptance and almost rising to the challenge, like, okay, so this is what I've been given. Now I'm seeing this as an opportunity to create Mm -hmm. whatever life I want to have and to be who I really am on the inside and how awful that it had to take such a traumatic and devastating experience to get to Mm -hmm. that place thankfully for most people, they're not going to have to go through such deep trauma to get to that place. But this is such an important lesson for all of us that mm-hmm. we've got to listen to that voice inside that mm-hmm. we all have that tells us yeah. something's not right. This isn't right. Yeah. I'm, I'm screaming on the inside that there's more for me somewhere else and yeah. to actually do something about it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's part of the reason why I wanted to write the book because yeah, it took me such a huge, <laughs> dangerous, life threatening wake up call. But I don't think that it needs to take that for everyone. We should be able to learn from each other's experiences and yeah. situations. And that's why I wanted to get it all down and hopefully pass some of that on.
0: One of the phrases that you talk about early in the book is if you can, you must. And that has, I have to say, it stayed with me for the last week since I picked up the book and I read that. And every little thing that I'm now challenging myself, if you can, you must. So can I be bothered? You know, do it. Like, How Mm -hmm. blessed and lucky am I that I can get up and go for that walk or Mm -hmm. go and do whatever or try something new, whatever it is. And that I think that is such a brilliant message. So can you talk a little bit about where that came from for you?
2: That was written by uh, a wise drugged up version of me <laughs> a lot of painkillers. And when I realized I wrote it years later, I thought, oh it's pretty good. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I wrote it uh, probably like three days or something after my accident. And it was, you know, I'd been told that I'll paralyzed and that I'd never walk again. And I was thinking back to the morning of the accident, how I told myself the day before that I was going to go for a run through the Alps before the skydive. And I didn't because I just couldn't be bothered. Or I was like, oh, I'll just go tomorrow. And I just was feeling a bit which is fine (laughs) but (laughs) sitting there well not sitting there laying there three days later being told that I would never walk again let alone ever run again which was something that I loved so so much was just such a like again I had that feeling of regret like how on earth could I have possibly said no to doing something that I loved so much and that I really wanted to do, but I didn't just because I was feeling too lazy. So I wrote in my phone, if you can, you must. And I specifically meant if you can ever run again, which back then seemed very unlikely, you must run again. Like you must remember this feeling of where I would have done absolutely anything to even just sat up in that bed so I could eat. So yeah, I wrote it down and then forgot about it. And then probably like five years later or something, I was going through the notes in my phone and I found those words and I remembered what I meant. But then I also realized that it can relate to so much more than just running. And if we have a desire and a want and we we physically can do something, we should while we have the chance because not to sound morbid, but we, yeah, we think we have so much time but we don't know how much time we will have to do certain things and opportunities can pass so make the most of it while we can and it was also interesting when i found the words because i wrote them to run again and even now 9 years on i like i still can't sometimes that still makes me upset like i'd love to be able to run but it's interesting how something that's once seemed completely unfathomable and impossible to deal with is now just normal and yeah. not heartbreaking
0: Yeah, well, that's a really interesting point you make because the grief associated with the loss that you experienced in the beginning, particularly, and being told quite heartlessly, it seemed initially from that doctor, oh, yeah, well, this is permanent. Yep, you've broken (laughs) A, B and C and you're, you can't walk and you never will again. And now I'm off to my next round. Yeah. like ah, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> I mean, talk about the absolute worst way to deliver like life altering news like that, but that's like the beginning of such a huge grief process. As you come to think of all the things that are associated with that and what this really means for your life going forwards. And I wonder how you process that grief? Because it's one thing to say, okay, well, now I'm going to see the opportunities and I'm going to do the best that I can to make the best of my life. But as you mentioned about running, there's still probably a bit of sadness with some things, but how do you go from like deep shock and grief to the place where you're at today?
2: Well, I think a lot of it is just, you know, as cliche as it sounds and everyone says time, like time to wrap your head around something. Because in the beginning I'd gone from this completely able-bodied 20-year-old carefree girl traveling the world to a day later being paralyzed in a hospital bed and not being able to speak to anyone. Mm -hmm. So like, how do you wrap your mind around such a huge change in such a short amount of time? So I think that just the passing of time helps so much naturally, but also I put a lot of deliberate focus on the things that I could still do, especially Mm -hmm. once I got back to Sydney and was in a spinal ward and I saw so many people who were far worse off than me physically. And, you know, when it first happened, I was like, oh, my God, this is the worst injury in the world. Like, surely there's nothing, nothing worse than this. And I like I hate comparing myself to others and being like, oh, thank God I'm not that bad. But mm-hmm. it really like that feels wrong. But it, it really did give me a wake up call to see people who couldn't use their hands or couldn't feel anything besides their face. And I was like, they would do anything to be me right now sitting mm-hmm. in this wheelchair, being able to push it for myself. And so that was a wake up call to just have appreciation for what I can do and what I still had, rather than just focusing on what I'd lost, which seemed like the world at that point, but
1: you realize it's not. Have you ever stopped to think how much you may have inspired someone else? Emma tells a story in just a moment about inspiration from an unusual person in what had become her usual place. It's coming up next. This episode of the Curious Life
0: Podcast is brought to you by the Sneaky Treat Company Melbourne, decadent sweet treats delivered to your door. Let your friends, family or clients know that you're thinking of them with a box of goodies and a personalised note to send along with your gift. The com. you know you want to. You write about some beautiful moments in the spinal ward in Sydney. One of them that springs to mind is the man in his 50s with the kind eyes that he never spoke to. But I thought Mm -hmm. that was such a beautiful anecdote. And so often we have these moments in life where it's like that sliding doors moment. Somebody has made an impact. I haven't even spoken to them and wondering what could have been if I'd maybe made that connection. But I think having just, people don't know what I'm talking about here. Maybe you'd like to (laughs) share a little bit about that. Yeah, when
2: I was in the spinal ward. I was really, really shy back then. And I was also just very overwhelmed by this whole new situation. So I didn't really talk to anyone. But I remember seeing this man and he was always on his own, even though everyone else had visitors. And he was in a electric chair, which meant he couldn't use his hands or his legs or his arms. He couldn't do anything besides tilt his head to the left and the right. And I would see him every day at physio doing that same exercise, just tilting his head like a centimetre. And he would go every day, twice a day, doing the same exercise and not give up on trying. And he was never, you know, I'm sure he was absolutely heartbroken and struggling, but I never saw him looking upset or angry. He was just doing what he needed to do. And that had such a profound impact on me because especially in the spinal ward, there were a lot of people who, fair enough, like couldn't be bothered to go to physio because they didn't see the point. And there was a lot of people dealing with things differently, but seeing this man just so determined and committed. It just really struck something in me, but yeah, I never spoke to him, but I think it was a really nice lesson to see the impact that someone, a stranger, someone I never even spoke to could have because we're all probably doing that for other people without realizing whether it's in a positive or a negative way. Yeah. It just makes you think about how you move throughout the world and what people are getting from just witnessing your experience.
0: Like you were saying before, we shouldn't be comparing ourselves, but that's the human nature part of yeah. us that we can't resist. We're always looking yeah. to someone else to see what they're doing and yeah. how their lives compare to ours. And that's a really important lesson for us all to remember that no matter how hard you think it is for you, there's somebody else that's looking at you and wishing they had it as easy as you or as, or as good as you do. Yeah. 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 yeah absolutely. And another thing that was interesting is you talk about being an introvert and feeling like you wanted to kind of have that time to recharge away from others. And I really relate to that because I consider myself an outgoing introvert. Like I Mm -hmm. recharge on my own but it's so funny because that was a complete shock to me reading that in the really? book, because the way that you write, you just seem like such an outgoing extrovert. It was like really oh, yeah. an interesting, I was like, what? Oh my God, she's an introvert and she wants to go back. And like everyone, she can't wait for that time when everyone's left so she can mm-hmm. recharge. Like that was really interesting.
2: Really? That's a yeah. funny. Yeah. No,
0: I love it. Like
2: I, <laughs> I love being on my own and when there's people that I'm comfortable with, I can be like the loudest, bubbliest person in the room, yeah. but then I'll be like, okay, got to go sit by myself for an hour or yeah. you know, a day and recharge. But I think that media can give a different idea of people because when I'm filming stories at home, I'm obviously hundred percent comfortable and I'm on my own. So I'm mm-hmm. recharged and looks like I'm so energized, but yeah. then that's not necessarily the, the me that's out and about. And it's not that it's a lie or a persona that I'm putting on. It's just that's who I am at home. And then talking to people, sometimes I get really shy.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Totally makes sense. I completely get it. People misunderstand like the true meaning of introvert and extrovert, but it is all about energy and Mm -hmm. input and output, isn't it? So, like you say, you could be the loudest, bubbliest girl in the room when you're with all your friends and your family and you feel great. But then it's like, okay, I'm done. I need to go and recharge. Yeah, absolutely
2: upcoming in like two months. I have so many exciting things on like the book tour and all so many interviews and stuff. And I'm like, it's the most exciting thing. It's my dream. But I keep thinking like, when will I be alone? Like, <laughs> oh my God, what am I going to do? Like, like I yes. need to like plan in the alone time as well. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> You've got to schedule <laughs> that in.
0: percent. Yeah. <laughs> yep. How did you, how, I mean, I guess it's hard to ask this question because it was so long ago and you were young. How did you look after your mental health before the accident? And comparing it to how you kind of look after yourself now, is there a big difference?
2: Yeah, well, before the accident, and I don't know if it was just an age thing or an inexperienced thing, but I just didn't think about it. Yeah. <laughs> I was just, <laughs> you know, just going about life. I didn't do anything to actively put myself in a better headspace. Yeah. Like, so if good things were happening, I was happy. If bad things were happening, I was sad. It was just very reactive. Whereas now, like, Again, I think it's that having that attitude of perspective and appreciation and gratitude that keeps me feeling joyful a lot of the time, but also doing just little things like I'll meditate just for like 10 minutes every morning, or I'll make sure I, even if I don't go for a walk for whatever reason, I will just literally stand outside for 10 minutes to feel to feel sun and fresh air and just little things that you know it's not going to be the same for everyone what but for me like nature and movement and alone time thing I really prioritize because I know that they're the things that will 100% make me feel even like a smidge better if I'm not feeling good yeah
0: Oh, that's so good that you found all of that because it can take a really long time for people to find the things that work. Yeah. And, you know, we talk about self-care and people think, oh, it's like having a bath and it's not, it's the things that work for you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So that's brilliant. I'm glad you found all of that. and sounds like it's working. (laughs) (laughs) One of the other things you talked about in the book, which I thought was really interesting was the concept of ableism and because you've been kind of through this whole gambit of let's call it disability from complete Mm -hmm. paralysis from the waist down to where you've worked really hard to get to today and then I was really surprised to read about people in your life, like I don't want to give everything away in the book, (laughs) important people making comments about your ability or disability and I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that experience.
2: Yeah. So I was actually nervous to write a chapter on ableism because I know that my experience with disability and the way that people see me from the outside, people wouldn't know that I have a disability. And I only experience all up two years in a wheelchair compared to some people's lifetime. And so I didn't want to, I don't know, I didn't feel like I had a right to put my experience other people ha- are dealing with things in a much different way. But then I also thought this book is my experience and people might be interested to learn that. One of the main things I noticed when I was in a wheelchair is just that people, first of all, stared at me, like just blatantly stared. Even now when I walk with a limp, like any single person I walk past will stare. They don't even mean to just stare at my legs, trying to figure out like, still i like why should we? So there's that. And then also people were just so much nicer and more patient and generous when I was in a wheelchair. And I quickly learned that it was because they thought I was having a hard time or that my life sucked. So they were trying to make up for that as opposed to, I can't explain it. You can tell when someone's being kind because they're just kind or when they're trying to like make up for something. So there's an example in the book where I was at at a bar with my friend who's in a wheelchair and someone came up and just gave him a hundred dollar note. And I was like, why are you giving him a hundred dollars? Like you're not giving anyone else here a hundred dollars. And he's like, Oh, I just think he deserves that. I think he's really inspiring. And I was like, why? How do you know? Like he could be, he could be a real dick. Like how do you know? And it's just, yeah, it's just so many little examples like that. I've seen of people who were like trying to fill that void that, They assume people with a disability must have when realistically they could be so fulfilled and happy and joyful and yet not in any need of that. I don't know if I've explained that well, but. (laughs) Yes, you have. Absolutely. (laughs) On the other hand, when I started walking again, that's when people started looking up to me for that. They're like, you're so inspiring for learning to walk again. I'm Mm -hmm. like, okay, does that then mean my friend Sam is not inspiring because he didn't learn to walk again? Mm -hmm. And it's just. A lot of people will say, you know, it's because my determination of positivity and I know they that's very well intentioned, but it's just absolutely not the case because everyone that I know that's living with paralysis is so determined and strong and positive and resilient and everything. And yet they haven't got back on their feet. So I wanted to make a very clear point that that is not why I learned to walk again. I feel very passionately about that because I, I know there's some books out there from people who have learned to walk again. And it's just like, you do this, you can too. And I'm like, it's not my message.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Mindset is so important, but it's not going to be the single reason that you can overcome a significant injury. Yeah. No, I think you made that point really well. And as you say, I think it is really important. Probably people are well-meaning yeah absolutely Um, yeah but until you've heard stories like these how else will you know so I think it's powerful that you've shared all of that and because you have been in so many different variations of injury to where you are now that Mm -hmm. you can speak to all of this and I think you should be really proud of how you've done it oh thank you
2: thanks yeah Yeah, but that's yeah that's one part I'm definitely nervous about how it will be
1: received so that's nice yeah (laughs) thank you this were your story, would you change it? Would Emma? Find out next on The Curious Life.
0: And so what about now, when you look at where your life is now? I mean, this is a question that's really cliched and probably a bit stupid to ask, but I'm interested in in, from a, a mindset perspective and from a mental health perspective. If you look at where you are now, can you say that you would change anything along the way? Yeah,
2: it's hard to answer because obviously I'm a completely different person now than I was at 20. But it's like, yeah, is that, would I become this person anyway Mm. with age and time? Or was it specifically the accident that brought on this growth? And I'm sure it's a mixture Of both. And yeah, it's like if I had the choice to be incontinent and need to use catheters and not be able to run and do all the sports that I want to do, I would, of course, choose to be able to do all those things. But does that mean that I want to take back what happened? No, absolutely not. Because so much good and growth has come from all of that. But yeah, it's a tricky question because it's like, yeah, you wouldn't willingly put yourself in that situation. But at the same time, it doesn't mean you want to erase it.
0: No, and I completely relate. I had a, a life-changing situation, albeit completely different, losing my mum suddenly at around the same age. And that gave me that shift in perspective like mm-hmm. you had where you realize life isn't guaranteed mm-hmm. and tomorrow isn't promised and anything can happen at any given time. Yeah. And I feel like I'm a different person because of going through that experience. Yeah. But like you say, I I wonder sometimes, would I have always become this person or have I become this person because of what I went through? And it's almost like you get a peek behind the curtain and you can Mm. see, oh, okay, so I'm not living in this fantasy world where I'm invincible and so are all the people I love. It's actually, you know, anything can happen at any time. So we Mm -hmm. have to make the most of our time and do the things we love and work on ourselves and make sure we're being the people that we want to be. Yes. Lifetime.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Which can be uh, both a positive and negative thing to deal with that insight. Right. Because on one hand, yeah, you make the most of everything and you're like, oh my God, time and life is so precious. Like let's do it all. But then on the other hand, as you were saying earlier, like a anxiety of, I don't know what's going to happen by the end of today. I really feel that too. And I realized recently through talking to friends, like, oh, people don't wake up and think what's going to have happened by the time I lay back down in this bed when I go to bed tonight. Yeah. Like, People just yeah,
0: that's not a normal feeling that a lot of people have. So (laughs) yeah, it's a terrible burden to have that. Yeah, that constant thought and anxiety, and that is something that I deal with every day. And as a therapist, I work with people on anxiety, and so I technically know how to work through this with other people. But it's very different applying it to yourself, and I can't remove it entirely. So there, every single day, I will have thoughts of like panic because I'm so desperate to be here and to be here for my kids and to have a life. And it's awful. That anxiety is exhausting. I wish, I wish I could be less conscious of it. And I'm sort of envious of those people that haven't had to face mortality. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's so true. It's yeah. It's something that I guess people can't relate to if Mm. they have an experience. And, and yeah, I try to, when I get very overwhelmed by this, I try to just think of like the positive that it's giving me that if you can, you must whole way of living. And I try to just think, okay, let's use this to my advantage rather than just paralyzing me with fear. Yes.
0: Yes. yes. I'm not going to spiral today. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And in terms of you had what sounds like incredible support along the way from your family and friends, what's their take on i'm sure they've read the book have they Some? no well no? my
2: mum, my mum just finished reading it my sister's yeah. reading it now one of my mm-hmm. sisters but no one else has read it like i don't have any
0: oh my god <laughs> that's why that's it's so, so weird.
2: It's so weird seeing like seeing you holding the book i'm like i don't have a book yeah.
0: <laughs> okay yeah. well then you yeah. know i'm sure once they read it they're gonna love it i'm sh- were they behind you in the writing process and supporting you along the way it's a very like uh, like
2: personal thing I just did it all on my own I hadn't really showed anyone anything yeah. that I wrote and it's weird sharing your because it's very all of my like deepest feelings which isn't necessarily things that I would talk to them yeah. about day to day so they'll probably read and be like oh I didn't know if she felt that way or like oh I didn't know that
0: happened so yeah
2: yeah my mum said she cried. Literally the whole time. She oh, sent me She yeah. sent me photos of her crying. <laughs> I was like, are they happy to, sad to? I don't know. But yeah, no one else is ready yet.
0: Wow. I completely relate to your mom as well, because I sort of felt like on the brink of big emotions throughout the book. And I say that not to scare people away. It's incredible. It's like being let into your, yeah, your inner world. And it's like almost a peek into your diary it's you alone in that bed for so long with things happening to you, people coming in and out and telling you this and that and moving your body around without you having any control. And especially in the beginning when you're on the other side of the world and all of that's happening without the language, that to be let into your private thoughts about what that Mm -hmm. experience was like, I think is really special and a privilege to to read, honestly.
2: Oh, well, thank you. And yeah, I think that what happened to me specifically, both the skydive and everything afterwards and living with the disability isn't necessarily relatable situations for everyone. But I think that as humans, we all experience the same emotions just through different circumstances. So I wanted the hard emotions to be almost, well, I don't know, almost, I find it really comforting when I read something and it's like, oh, that described the way that I felt at this time of my life. So even though people might not be able to relate to what I was going through, I think that people will be able to relate to certain emotions to times in their own life
0: what do you hope that people get from reading your book I was talking to my friend
2: about this the other day and I was like oh I'm just so nervous like you know what if people don't get anything from it and she's she made a great point she was like why do they need to and I was like Mm. well you know they need to get something and she's like you read books all the time just for enjoyment and I was like oh yeah like oh yeah (laughs) so yeah I hope people enjoy it, but I do hope that people find it comforting or validating in some way. And I I hope it also reaches people who feel like I used to feel, which is not thinking that I was capable of getting through any hard situation in life because I didn't realize that resilience is something that we can grow. I thought just people either had it or they didn't. And I thought I didn't have it. I hope it makes people realize what they're capable of because yeah it's not I very much even though the book's a memoir I didn't want it to be too informationy about me I wanted it to be more just like lessons and the emotions that people can relate to their own life
0: well -hmm. if that was the brief you've absolutely nailed it so (laughs) thank you (laughs) thank you very much (laughs) yeah there's no worries about that at all and so tell me what's coming up next for you
2: I don't know. It's, I've been getting asked this question a lot lately. And I feel like writing a book in general and releasing this book has been something I've been so excited for, like writing a book as long as I can remember. And this book specifically for eight years now. I just want to enjoy every single thing that happens at this stage, because this is what I've been looking forward to instead of looking to the next thing, because I'm not sure what that is. Hopefully I will write more books or... I honestly have zero plans.
0: Yeah, I love it. You're living (laughs) in the moment. That's what we should all be aspiring towards. We're always looking forwards or looking back. It's so hard to be in the present.
2: Exactly. And I just try to think like there were so many days and years where I thought there's no way I can write a book. Like I don't know how to do that. I don't think that will ever happen for me. And now that I have, I'm like, okay. Instead of looking to the next thing, realize that I'm in the moment that I once could only dream of. So I'm just trying to embrace that.
0: I love that. Absolutely love it. Yeah. (laughs) Where can people find you? Where's the best way to get in touch?
2: Probably on Instagram. I write a lot on Instagram. I'm one of those, some people find annoying with the (laughs) captions that are the the, uh, maximum length that you're allowed, captions (laughs) on Instagram. My Instagram is at M underscore Carrie and you can find me in the book
0: (laughs) beautiful i love it well thank you so much for taking this time to chat with me and for putting everything that you did into this beautiful book and i know that so many people are going to get so much out of this i definitely have thank you this is so lovely (laughs) you're welcome um and i'll put your details in the show notes so people can just click through to your Insta. thank you I've loved having you on my podcasting journey so far. I hope you're enjoying season four and that you've gained something from the stories I've been bringing to you. Now, I've made something just for you. Living through these tumultuous times, we've all had a lot to contend with. We've had to pivot and adapt like never before. But what if we can't? What's stopping us from taking those leaps of faith? In my new book, Embracing Change, I unpack some of the psychological barriers to change using anecdotes from my own personal life and professional experience as a therapist as well as sharing some of the heartfelt and painful experiences of my well-known guests on the Curious Life podcast. We all have a story and we all have challenges to overcome. Embracing Change is about finding the ways that we can adjust, transition and adapt as smoothly as possible. Embracing Change is available at all good bookstores at Kmart, Big W or online via Booktopia. If you prefer to listen to your books, you can hear me read it to you via audiobook available through Audible. I would love to hear your thoughts. So please let me know what you think on socials at the Curious Life Podcast.
1: Thanks for listening. We would love it if you left us a rating for this episode. And catch up with Jana for more inspiration and info on how to get to the stories that tap into your passion on Instagram and Facebook at The Curious Life Podcast. And if you're looking for a fabulous podcast editor or producer, use ours. Julie Reynolds will turn your audio lemons into audio lemonade. Check out audiolemonade.com.au.